you. Um, <clears throat> you heard Tim reference in his prayer, Amy, my, my wife Amy. Um, I'm looking for the tissues. <laughs> yeah. Um, our, Amy's mother was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And uh, as you can imagine, that's a heavy blow to our family, especially to Amy and her sister. Amy's mother, Joe, is a rock. She's a believer, praise God. And um, so, yeah, we, my family has been in this two and a half year struggle of great suffering and trying to make sense of it all. Um, as you can tell, I'm cruising right at the edge of my tears. That's been going on for a while. And just as we start to come up for air, we get plunged down deep into the water again. And Amy and I um, have often looked to each other and said, you know, what in the world is going on in our lives? And what in the world is Christ doing? Um, and I don't have answers for you, except for this. We'll start the sermon with this. 2 Corinthians 12, which is the verses that Jesus just keeps giving me over and over again. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Scripture tells us, thank you. The scripture tells, and then it goes on to say, for the sake of Christ, that I am content. Others, the one that I'm memorizing says, I will delight my weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That is the only answer that Jesus Christ So, yeah, it's funny because there's, there are moments in my life where I just can't cry. I don't know what that is. I'm not opposed to crying. I don't think I'm hardening my heart to the Lord. Maybe it's just too much. Maybe just too much is going on. So I ask people to just pray for my tears. Um, not necessarily that they would all flow during this sermon, but if that's God's will, then this so be it. Um, so let me pray. Lord, in weakness, here we come. In calamity and hardship, here we are. Some moments are great and the sun is shining, and some moments are dark and the rain is coming down upon our heads and the wind is blowing, and we are plunged into the sea. But your grace is sufficient. And I'm just trusting you for that today, Lord. Trusting it for Amy and her sister Lily, family, our family. Be merciful. Bring healing where only you can bring healing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon is entitled Our Biases, Prejudice, and Preconceived Notions. It's from Acts chapter 10. And today we're finishing up the sermon series in Acts. <clears throat> 
It's a great, it's a great uh, chapter. Originally, we were not scheduled to preach this sermon. We were, not, we were not going to go into Acts 10. But because of circumstances, we're in Acts 10. I am so glad we are. It is a glorious passage. And unless you're Jewish and have a Jewish background, this is a significant passage for you and for me. Uh, before that, just as a way of introduction, and so, yeah, we're going to do the, yeah, we're going to do it. I have a picture to show you. As you know, sports fans tend to get a little nutty. So I'm not sure these guys are making great choices, um, but here they are. <clears throat> we have um, up at the top left, you probably can't see it all that, that's LeBron James, and the guy who has a tattoo all over his back. It's literally LeBron James when he was in Miami. Uh, so that's this guy. This is an exercise. This is right out of my son's psychology class. College. He's in a psychology class right now. Um, I blacked out a couple because I just don't want to deal with all the pictures, but these are the ones I want to deal with today. The one on the bottom left, I think this is a really bad choice, but that's uh, O.J. Simpson. And then there's, uh, you can, I don't know if you can see it on the top, body pain, three guys fans, UNC University of North Carolina. UNC in the house at all? No? Uh, all right, all right. I'm a, I'm a Penn State fan myself. So those, those three, you have to make a choice today. And the choice is this. Now, the, this was given to college students, so um, you're going to have to use your imagination if it doesn't perfectly fit your situation. Which, which one of these five people, three, three at the top, one with a tattoo in the back, one of O.J. Simpson, you have to choose one of these people to babysit your kid. So if you don't have kids, you've got to imagine you have kids. So with a show of hands, you've got to choose. With a show of hands, who's going to do O.J. Simpson? All right, Zach, my man. <laughs> um, LeBron James, the one on the back. All right. And how about any one of the UNC fans? Well, you guys didn't all vote, man. You've got to vote. I'm sorry. This is, this is just the way the, the exercise works. Uh, one more time, O.J. Simpson, LeBron James, the fans from UNC. All right, it looks like UNC has it, but a slim margin. Here's the backdrop. The LeBron fan, he's a huge fan. He's showing his, how much he really loves LeBron, but he is a, he's a family man. He's, he works full-time at a great job, supports a big family. He's a huge LeBron fan. He wanted to put it on his back so nobody could see it except for him. I don't know if that changes the story. Um, O.J. Simpson, this is an interesting one. It was a bet. He needed the money for a surgery. Still not sure it's a great choice. And then the UNC students were arrested after this picture for assaulting a person on campus. Does it change your opinion? A little bit? It, it's a psychology class. It's all made up. But you get the point, right? Our biases, our prejudices, how we look at people. We all have them, correct? We do. You, you, can, take it, you can take it off. We don't need to look at the, too many of the tattoos for too long. 
Um, and we all have these preconceived notions of the way life should be and the way people should act. Do we not? We do, right? Now, here's one more exercise. Think of a person, I'm not going to ask you who they are, think of a person you just simply do not trust. And as soon as you have that person in your mind, raise your hand. The thing that was so amazing about this is how quickly that person came into my mind. Now, here's the thing. For the purpose of the exercise, it can't be a legitimate thing. It can't be this person has stolen money from you. It can't be that this person has harmed you in some way. So we have a legitimate reason not to trust people in those kind of situations. But here's, this, here's what I want to say. Think of a person, especially, who just has completely different ideas than you do. You say yes, they say no. You say black, they say white. Now think of that person in your mind. And then think of the reason you don't trust them. And hold that person in your mind. We're going to get to that person at the end of the sermon. We all have these challenges in the way that we think about other people. And the Gospels, we're going to see in this chapter, by its very nature, bumps right into our preconceived notions of the way that things should be. And it definitely bumps up against our notion of the people that we should associate And the Holy Spirit, as we're going to see in this passage, bumps right up against Peter and all of his preconceived notions about the Gentiles. We're finishing up our our sermon series called A Church Alive on the Book of Acts. Next week, Pastor Larry is going to start his sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. So we're all looking forward to that. Way back when, in the beginning of the series, I, I did the first sermon And I pointed out the basic outline, which is in the book of Acts, which is Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is the basic outline for the whole book of Acts. Today we're going to meet a man, a soldier named Cornelius from Caesarea, which is in Judea. So we're right smack in the middle of the spread of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. Let's read uh, the scripture together. And I I went back and forth about this, and I have decided we're going to read the whole scripture. Um, I was going to chop it up, see if I could chop it up and still get the gist of the story. But then the Lord reminded me of a professor, Silva, who I had at Westminster. We had this chapel one time, Professor Silva was the one scheduled to preach that day. And he he, uh, walked up, and he read this very lengthy uh, scripture passage. And at the end, he said, amen, and he sat down. That was it. And everybody's, I I remember one of my uh, my fellow students was like, what was that all about? The point he was making, which is, I think, the point I want to make today is, you will, hear the whole, you will hear God through his Holy Spirit most when the scripture is read itself. It is not about what I'm going to say, although hopefully that will be helpful. But all I want you to do is just pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is telling you as the word of God is, is, is read. Okay? So let's read together. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion who was of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all of his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. 
About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop in about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate, and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I, too, am a man. And he talked with him. He went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house. At the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, 
but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning with from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because of the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. The word of the Lord. Amen is right. First point, you'll see a, a outline on the back of your bulletin. The first point, I just want to talk a little bit about the Gentiles. This has a huge historical backdrop be, behind it. Uh, Cornelius, a, re- a Roman centurion. If you were to look in a study Bible, you will see that a Roman centurion is a commander of the Roman army. He's responsible for 100 people. Cornelius is a part of what's called the Italian cohort. About 600 soldiers divided into six divisions, 100, 100, 100, all led by centurions. Centurions were well-respected, well-honored people in Roman society, and then they would put these cohorts in foreign lands to keep the peace. Now, it says also that um, Cornelius was a God-fearing man, and that adds this kind of nice, warm feeling to the story. Here's the thing. He is still a Gentile. And there's this huge distinction at this time in history between Jews and Gentiles. Between the people of God and the nations. We see it best in the court, what's known as the court of the Gentiles in the temple. One of the main themes going out throughout the whole book of Acts is that God is building a whole new temple. A temple that is not made of stone. It is made of his people. Not only that, but surprisingly, a diverse people. But there's this court of the Gentiles. And you know, again, you can look in a study Bible. There's there's an outward court. That's, That's where the Gentiles have to stay. They can't go any further. The Jews can go. And then the priest. And then finally the high priest into the Holy of Holies. It is distinctions. It is separation of people. It's all there in visual form in the temple. There is a division, there is a distinction between the people of God 
and the people of this world. Now, interesting enough, uh, you know, you're always, when you're preaching, you're always trying to pay attention to what is God, what's God doing in my life right now? What, what is he trying to tell me? What can I share with the people? I have just finished up in my own personal devotion the book of Judges. It just happened to turn out that way. And I figured, well, let me go. I went to Joshua. I'm sorry. Now I'm to Judges. Joshua and Judges. And one of the things that you see is this distinction, this division among peoples of the earth. And you see these two themes. But the one theme is that the people go into the book of Joshua. They're going into the promised land. There are people there, the Canaanites, and they are to destroy them. The book of Joshua says over and over again, they are devoted to destruction. You are to kill every single one of them. Now, to our modern ears, that sounds extremely harsh. It sounds like God is commanding genocide. But if you pay attention to the story of Joshua and Judges, but especially Joshua, you'll find that there's two things about the Canaanites in the Promised Land. They are a morally corrupt people, and they sacrificed their children to the gods. Horrible, horrific things. This is the judgment of God coming upon these people. And you see these two things. One is in Leviticus 18. It is a crazy chapter, which I won't get into too much. But it's all about who you're not able to have relationships with. And it's all relatives. It, it, It is hard to read that chapter. At the end of the chapter, it says, do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. It's talking to the people of God. For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity. And the land vomited out its inhabitants. It inhabited its sin. Their sin was so great that the land could no longer stomach it. And it vomited them out. It was God's judgment. And then Deuteronomy 12, when the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to possess, and you possess them and dwell in their land, take care that you do not, you're not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying how these nations serve their gods, that I may also do the same. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Why the need for the distinction between the people of God and the nations? It is sin. It is horrible sin. Interestingly enough, as you look in the Torah, the, the law of God, this sin makes it way, its way, and this distinction makes its way into the Jewish diet. Before sin, man apparently only ate plants. First, Genesis 1.29, and God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. Isaiah 65, looking to the new creation, the new heavens and earth says, in the new heavens and earth, the lion will eat straw like the lamb, like the ox. But now sin has entered the picture by this time in the story, and there is a need for distinction between 
what is clean to eat, what is clean meat, and what is unclean meat. You're probably familiar with Jewish people do not eat pork. It is an unclean meat. And this is all pointing to the need for clean sacrifices. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews tells us, under the law, almost everything has to be purified with blood. Why? Because there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And this is ultimately pointing to the perfect, pure, clean sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So for thousands of years, think about this, thousands of years Israelites followed this system of clean and unclean. Clean and unclean people. Clean and unclean food. There is to be a distinction between us and the world. It is about holiness. It's a distinction in the way we act. It is a distinction sometimes in the way we eat, especially for the Jews. And this is all wrapped up in all this backdrop of what's going on in our story in Acts. The Gentiles, or what the Old Testament calls the nation, are morally unclean people who eat unclean food. But then Peter has this vision. See, Peter, we see from the story, he is aware of this distinction. Look at verse 28. And he said to them, when he met them, Cornelius, and the family and friends, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. We are seeing in this moment in history the destruction of distinctions between people, between what is clean and unclean. Verse 15, this is where we really see it. God says, the voice comes down to Peter, what God has made clean, do not call common. So we have this strange Vision. Peter has this strange vision of the sheep that comes down. These animals and birds and reptiles, some of which probably were clean, some of which had to be unclean. There had to be pigs there, pork, I'm assuming. Because what does Peter say? Lord, I'll never eat this. It's unclean. I've never eaten unclean food. God says, what I have called clean, do not call common. Peter just didn't know what he didn't know. Until that sheet comes down from heaven with all kinds of animals, he just did not know what he did. Peter is on the rooftop. You know, this is a, an amazing moment in history, if you think about it, for all kinds of reasons. But this is the moment when God says, it's okay to cruise up to Wendy's and get yourself a Baconator. This is the moment where everything changes. God created the Baconator, and it was good. Amen. That could be debated, right? He's blowing up the categories. And so they asked Cornelius, he's like, please, Peter, through this vision of his own, come and preach to us. What does the Lord have to say to us? What did the Lord have to say to you when we read that long scripture? It's easy to get distracted when there's the long scripture, but what did he say to you? What is he saying to you now? Yeah, we often call this book the act of the apostles. I said, I think in the first sermon, it really 
should be called the acts of Jesus through his spirit. Because it is the spirit going from people to people, to nation to nation. And the thing, if we go back for a second to Judges and Joshua, they were commanded to do all these things, to eat this, not this, to not associate with, with these people. But what did they miss? That Israel was to be a light for the nations. That the original promise to Abraham was, you will be a father of all nations. That is the undercurrent of so much of the Old Testament. And they, they spent so much time on the distinction of clean on clean, they missed it. Completely missed it until this moment. Peter gets it. Peter gets it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he goes, freely goes to the people of God, the Gentiles, people of God who are yet to give their lives to Christ. You know what's really cool? Just a little part of the story. I don't know if you caught it or not. Peter gathers his family. I mean, Cornelius gathers his family and his friends. He's doing evangelism. He hasn't even gotten the word yet. He's a God-fearing man, but he hasn't gotten the gospel yet. When's the last time we invited family and friends to hear the gospel? So here is Peter's sermon. And again, I can't, I can't do any better than Peter's sermon. One of the things I've really liked about studying the book of Acts with you is all of the sermons. Peter is preaching up a storm. Stephen's sermon. Amazing. So here... Is Peter's sermon to Cornelius, his family, and his friends, and through extension of them to you. Again, listen, what does God have for you in this sermon? So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are his witnesses, all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him appear. Not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. He ate and drank with the disciples. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge, to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. What is the Holy Spirit telling you today through that sermon? One of the things he's telling us is that he's a gracious God to the Gentiles, to the nations. And if you remember in the very beginning of the sermon series I had people stand up whatever nation that they were, their descendants were from. We're not, we won't do that today. This sermon is the reason why we're saved. It's the beginning of the message to the Gentiles. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Yes. Why don't you stand? This is worthy of a hand clap. This is worthy of a thank offering. This is worthy of us giving praise to God. Hallelujah. Say it with me. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Yes. Yes. Praise God. You you can be seated. That God was so gracious that he would not leave us as an unclean people. He would not leave us in the horror of our sin, but he would come and deliver us. He would redeem us. He would save us forevermore. And to that place, the heaven of heavens, where the lion lays down with the lamb in great peace. Hallelujah. Wow. And before Peter could even finish the sermon, the scripture says, the Holy Spirit fell upon Cornelius and his household. And even those who were with Peter were amazed because the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles. Now, all that history lesson that I did with Joshua and Judges, that's why they were amazed. They were the people of God. We all know they got used to the favor of God. How can you ever get used to the favor of God? And then they became like the nations and sin. And the promised land had to spit them out. But God was gracious to them still. Our God is a loving and gracious God. This is the final point. As the gospel comes, and they were baptized. And this is the, the final point. God chose no partiality. Peter knew the distinctions. He knew the separations between people up until that moment. And then he understood clearly because of the gospel that there would be no more distinctions. There was a moment in time where God did show partiality. And praise God, I'm glad he did. Because that favor worked in our favor. He showed partiality to us. He showed favor to us and instead put all sin upon his son. Hebrews 13, verses 11 through 12. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Outside the gate, The city dump, that's where the unclean, was a place that was unclean. It's a place where they they would get rid of all the debris from the sacrifices and burn them up. It was an unclean place. Jesus Christ became unclean for you on the cross. All of God's wrath, all of his destructions, Jesus Christ was devoted to destruction that we might live the gospel hallelujah the city dump so what are your preconceived notions of the way God should move in this world what are your biases about who should be in the kingdom and who should be out getting back to that person in your mind who you don't trust sure you have good reason. I know I do. I have that person right here. 
Now, if they're an unbeliever, can you imagine the Holy Spirit coming to them like he came in this moment, Acts 10? It would change everything. They still may disagree with you, though. And they still may be hard for you to love. It gets a little bit more tricky if this person you don't trust is a believer. What is the Holy Spirit telling you about what you should do or how you should think or how you should feel about this person you do not trust? I don't know. I'm not telling you you should do or not do anything. That's between you and God. But it's just all about us questioning our prejudices, our biases, these preconceived notions, because God will have none of it. He will not show partiality, and neither should we. Again, that's the reason I said it's not something that... uh, it's not a person that harmed you in any way. We have to be set boundaries for people, obviously. That's not what we're talking about. So let's just quiet our hearts for just a moment. Think about that person. And just think about what God is asking you. And also think of all the glory of the gospel. As we finish up Acts Father, I I can't speak for anybody here. I don't know what you're talking to them about in your heart as they hear your word. All I know is what you're telling me. That I can be a a harsh judge of other people, especially people who don't agree with my ideas, people who, who I think, forgive me, Lord, don't, aren't good enough. What is it about this flesh of mine, Lord, that wants to judge other people and declare them not good enough? None of us. None of the nations. None of us are good enough. But thank you, Jesus, that you are. Thank you, Jesus, that your Holy Spirit is building a new temple with your people made up of all the nations of the world, all the people, all the nations represented. And in there, there's no partiality. And yet we still live in a fallen world, Lord, and we still struggle with people, sometimes for good reasons. I'm just going to leave this in your hands. Have mercy upon all of us. Thank you for the mercy that you've shown to us. at the cross. Amen. So I will invite... uh,